Which one's better? A mug from Fitz's? Good stuff. St. Louis, especially Fitz's root beer. Good stuff. Or a crystal glass? Which one's better? Ah, well, I knew somebody shot one of these hours, so anyway. Can I tell you? Neither of them's better. They're just different. We drink out of both of them. They're in great shape. They're, they're not, one's not better than the other. It, it's functioned to, to be at different places and maybe to do different things. But there's not one that's better than the other. They're just different. As we've been talking about marriage over the last uh, few weeks, matter of fact, our newest married couple are right here in the front. Wave, Albert and Katie. Yeah. They were married yesterday. They're going to leave tomorrow, but uh, married yesterday. They wanted to be here at worship and worship under the stars tonight, and then they're taking off tomorrow. But uh, as, as we think about marriage, we, we think uh, often in terms of, as we looked at last week, wives be submissive to your husbands. Does that mean that, that the man is better and, and the wife is not quite as good because she's told to submit. Well, we learned last week that submitting means to voluntarily yield. It has nothing to do with one of them being better than the other. It just has everything to do with the fact that they are different. And because we're different, we have different roles. Let me ask you, am I better than my wife because I'm the man? And she's a woman? Am I better because I'm the husband? She's the wife? Am I better because I'm the pastor? And she is just the pastor's wife. Does that make me better? The truth of the matter is, as we look at Scripture, what do we find? We find that Men and women are both created in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We are both saved by the grace of God. We are both inhabited by the Spirit of God. We both have equal access to the throne of God. We are both uniquely gifted by the sovereignty of God. We are both secure forever because of the love of God. So that one of us is not better than the other. God looks at us and says, look, you're you're created in my image equally. You're saved by my grace equally. You're loved and secured in my hand equally. But we have different roles. We play different roles. And this is clearly laid out for us in Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3. Take your Bibles this morning and let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to pick up in verse number 7. Verse number 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them, that's your wife, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. With that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today 
and challenge us, uh, especially I, I pray for a, a word of challenge to those of us like myself who are husbands. I pray, Lord, for our young men that uh, contemplate leading a home one day. I pray, God, for uh, the, the, the girls and the, the wives that are here today. Lord, that you would enlighten the understanding that you have for us in this word. And God, that uh, all of us would leave this place knowing we've heard from you. We are standing on your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, he spends the first six verses uh, speaking to women and then has one verse dealing with, with men. He clearly lays out that the woman's role is to be submissive. It's She's to voluntarily yield. It's a voluntarily yielding to, to his leadership. So that when it comes to a time of making that ultimate decision, God calls the husband to be the one that makes that with conjunction with communication, in conjunction with prayer. But God lays that on a husband. So then he turns then to the husbands in First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. And he says the, to the husbands that, that you as men are to dwell with your wives with understanding, and then you are to honor them as to the weaker vessel. And you think, wow, what is all that about? And we're going to jump there in just a minute. But for those of you who get married, you're going to have a picture, something like this. This is Julie and I on our on our wedding day. And that is a day of of happiness and celebration and, and just a great time. Family and friends come together. But can I tell you, when, when you're leading up to that time of marriage, you've been dating this girl, you girls, you've been, you've been with this guy, and you have seen each other most of the time in your best lights. I mean, you've seen each other on dates, and you've been with each other at family functions and those kinds of things. And, and this guy has tried to put on his manners and be good, and, and this girl has, has tried to, to act in a way that, that she feels is proper, proper and with etiquette. And so they come to this time of, of the wedding and, and she is celebrating because she has found her knight in shining armor and he is celebrating because he's found this, this beautiful, uh, lovely princess who just has a sweet personality and he wants to spend the rest of, of, of their life together. And then you fast forward just a short period of time and you realize, ugh, this knight in shining armor is not always quite so shining. And some of his armor has uh, some flaws. And, and, and you, you guys look at this girl and you think, man, she's this princess. And you realize that you married the imperfect princess. And now you're wondering what happened. And so you look back at this picture and think, man, my perspective and my anticipation of this person in marriage and on this happy day was was this, and now he acts like or she acts like. And so we come to a place where we have to make a decision. Am I going to love this picture and my expectation of what I thought marriage was going to be and tear this person apart because they're not meeting that expectation? So I love the picture, but I'm going to tear into them because they're not acting like I thought they should. Or for some people, it is, well, I'm just going to forget this picture like it never happened, but I'm still going to love them, but but I, I'm just going to do it. But I think there's a great third choice that we as believers need to embrace, that we love the picture. We love that sense of, 
of we saw each other in good light 95% of the time, but we also love the person. And going into marriage, you have to understand that you are a sinner marrying a sinner. And when we go in with that expectation and that understanding of saying, love truly is this unconditional commitment to an imperfect person, that I'm in this and I am going to, to love, I'm going to be faithful. Now, as Peter writes to believers in the first century, we are living in a very patriarchal society at this point in, for the, in the Roman Empire in the first century. As a matter of fact, this spring I had the opportunity to to go to uh, Athens, Greece, and to Corinth and to Ephesus, some of those places what the Bible talks about. And in the first century, these places were extremely idolatrous and extremely immoral, so that it was not uncommon for a man to be married to a woman, but to go to the temple and involve himself in immorality with temple prostitutes. It was just part of the Roman culture. And Peter then turns that around to husbands and says, guys, you're not to follow the world. You're not to act like the world anymore. Let me tell you how to be a godly husband and a godly leader in your home. Reject the models. Reject the models of the first century man who treated his wife like a, like a servant and looked down upon her and lived how he ever he wanted once he was out in the world. Don't, don't give in to that kind of cultural phenomenon of that day. Instead, I want to tell you, as a godly man and as a Christian husband, this is how you ought to live. So he says, you husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. So guys, here's our first challenge, that we are to seek to understand our wife. That we are to seek to understand our wife. Now, notice what it says in in verse number one. He says, dwell with them, dwell with your wife with understanding. The word dwell gives the picture of coming to know her. Know her. It, It really revolves around the sense of, of getting to, to learn who she is and, and aligning yourself closely and alone with her. The word dwell there means to align closely, to stick to each other. It doesn't mean that you just live in the same house. It means that you join together and you hang together and you hold on to, to each other exclusively. That you are one in the eyes of God and you are to dwell with your wife. You're to know everything about her. Matter of fact, guys, there, there was a book written a few years ago called His Needs, Her Needs by a man named Willard Harley. And do you know what the top three needs of a, of a wife are? It's good stuff to know. Number one, affection. She wants to, to have a sense of affection, a warm environment. She wants to know and feel that she's loved. She wants to be able to feel comfortable around you. She likes affection. You know what number two is? Conversation. Conversation. For the most part, God has wired women differently than he has wired men. There was a, a, 
an illustration that went around several years ago, and, and I saw it in, in Christian spe- uh, speeches and also in uh, secular speeches, that men would use about 12,500 words a day and women would use about 25,000 words a day. I think there's been some real question brought on that over the last few years and some of the, the research that I have looked at. But I think that it's very clear, and in, 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 at least in the experiences that I've had, that women just through conversation want to get to, to work into to your life and get to know you more. And they're just more typically conversational. For instance, when Julie calls her mom and talks with her mom on the phone, and I say, okay, how's your mom doing? If she talked on her, with her mom on the phone for 20 minutes, it's probably going to take probably 10 to 15 minutes of her telling me all of the details of what was going on with her mom. I talk to my mom normally two or three times a week. And uh, when I call my mom or she calls me and I talk to her for 15 or 20 minutes, and Julie says, how's your mom doing? I can answer in one word. <laughs> Fine. If no one in our family's having surgery, there aren't any new babies born, no one else is engaged, getting married, she's just fine. And so, so the picture is, is that when we begin to know and understand, our wife is typically more conversational than we are. So we have to, to understand that. And as leaders, we need to seek to meet that need in her life. Now, number one was affection. Number two was conversation. Number three, guys, is openness and honesty. It's openness and honesty. She wants to know how we feel. She wants us to share what's going on in, in our lives. There's just that sense of openness and, and honesty and transparency. And as she realizes and, and gets to, to, to know more about what's going on on the inside of us, then it helps her to, to know us and love us more and better through the process. Now, I find it interesting Because in six verses in which Peter talks to wives, he does not have to tell the wives to dwell with your husbands with understanding. And the reason is, is most women have this intuition and relational heartbeat as the heart of the home and the heart of the marriage that 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 comes more natural to them. So we need to know her. Secondly, we need to seek to understand her. Understand. That means that I, I need to dig in and find out what her gifts and desires and heart abilities and bents are toward. I mean, I need to, to begin to try to, to understand who she is and what's going on in her life. And again, for most women, this comes very natural to share in a conversation with a husband. But for most husbands, it is very hard, especially to get to this place of openness and honesty. And if we're going to have conversation and openness and honesty, then we have to listen. And sometimes that can be hard for us. I heard about the uh, lady and the husband had heard a message like this. And so he thought, man, you know, I've got to do something special for my wife. Her birthday's coming up. So he's talking to her what she wants for her birthday. And he hears her say something about being 10 again. And so he thinks, perfect. I've got a great idea. He calls in, takes off vacation day on her birthday He calls into her work, gets a day off for her birthday, and he says, surprise, I've got the perfect day lined up for us. 
we're going to go to Six Flags. We're going to ride all of the thrill rides. We're going to eat funnel cakes. We're going to eat snow cones. We're going to drink Cokes. We're going to eat hamburgers and hot dogs. We'll stop on the way home and get pizza. And it's going to be a great, great day. So they get uh, up and they go and they ride all the thrill rides. And she's gone up and down and around and had funnel cakes and hot dogs and pizza and Coke. And she comes home and she's tried to be a team player through all of this. And she falls on the couch. And, and her head is spinning from all of those rides and her stomach aches from eating all that junk food. And the husband, with this great excitement, says, well, how does it feel to be 10 again? And she said, what? He said, how does it feel to be 10 again? She said, I meant size 10. <laughs> See, the, the picture is, is, is sometimes we, we don't listen. And so we have to know and understand, and then we have to uphold. We uphold her. That means that our, our wife, guys, is going to have some weaknesses in her life. She's not going to be strong in every area. And in some of those areas, as we, as we dwell with her with understanding, we have to come and be that encourager and prop up some of those weaker areas in her life so that we can be an effective team together. So, as we think about knowing our wife, understanding our wife, and upholding our wife, we're lifting her up to face the challenges that lie before her and before our marriage. So, as men, we have to seek to understand our wives. But there's another challenge. Notice back in this verse in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says this, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. That's we're seeking to understand our wife. And then he says, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. There's that second thought. We're to live to honor our wife. Live to honor your wife. Live to honor her. That's what he says. He says, giving honor to the wife. The word honor means to value, to esteem to prize highly so that we as men are to to take our wife and we are to treasure them, to prize and value and esteem them. And then he says, as to the weaker vessel. Now that itself sounds like, oh, what's going on here? If I'm to honor, to, to value, to esteem, to treasure my wife, What does it mean when it says that she is the weaker vessel? Well, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that mentally or intellectually she's weaker. It does not mean that morally or spiritually or emotionally she's weaker. What it does mean is physically, across the board, men are stronger than women. And I did some study on this this week. And, and I could quote stats, but I think it's just fair that all of us can say that uh, the average man is stronger than the average woman. Now, I know that there are a lot of women who are very strong. But I will tell you, the strongest man is still stronger than the strongest woman. That's just the way that works. There are women that are stronger than men. But for the most part, across the board, men are stronger than women. So he's saying men treasure your wife, you might be a little stronger, 
but she is to be honored and treasured. That's the picture. Physically, she's going to be a little weaker. This has nothing, again, to do with intellectual, mental faculties, emotions. Uh, it has nothing to do with, with spiritual life or anything like that. Matter of fact, as you think about spiritual life, could you imagine what church life would look like without women serving? Do you know who the first people to often sign up to help? Typically women. We could not function without all of, of the, the women, the wives going to work in different areas of ministry. They're valued, they're important, they're esteemed, they're treasured, they're great. Uh, women are, are great workers in the church. Matter of fact, as you look back in history, who were the last people to leave the cross? Who were the first people at the tomb? It wasn't the guys, it was women. So he's saying, look, women physically are weaker, so you need to treasure them. Now, the word that is used there, giving honor to the wife, is an interesting Greek word because this word is used in another time in 1 Peter. The word honor that is used to picture to treasure your wife is also the same word that's used in 1 Peter 1.19, In verse 18 of chapter 1, it says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold. But he says, but with the precious blood of Christ. Did you know the foundation of the word precious in the Greek and the foundation of the word honor that are used here are the same Greek, are the same in Greek? So that the picture is, is is we would say the blood of Jesus is precious But Peter would remind us and say, guys, we need to treat our wives as being a precious treasure. That's what he's saying. So that we should work and that we should live to bring them the honor that they deserve. He says, giving honor to them. That means that we are going to treasure them. It also means that we're going to seek to protect them. Okay, this typically this glass is going to be a little stronger than this one. We're to be protectors. That's part of who we are as leaders in the home. We're called to protect. But most of all, when we think about protecting, we think about love. Your wife is to be treasured and protected and loved. How did Jesus show his protection and love for the church? Well, the great passage that Paul shares over in marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse number 25, he says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. We are to show love and protection in such a way that Jesus would lay down his life. And he says, husbands, you're to lead in that kind of way. So that to protect and show love toward your wife, you will lay your life down. That's a big picture. Under the context of honoring your wife, Peter says honor. She is physically a, a, a weaker vessel, but the picture is, is that you are to love her. But there's something else that, you need to, that I need to point out when we think about this context of love. Because notice with me in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, and I skipped over it at the very beginning and I did it purposefully. What's the first word in verse number 7? 
In the New King James, it's the word likewise. Okay? So we think about likewise, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. What's the word likewise have to do with any of this? Well, we take in the context of 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse number 13, he says that we as citizens are to be submissive to the government. In verse number 18, he says that servants are to be submissive to their masters. In chapter 3, verses 1, uh, verse 1, and then on through that section of verse, through verse 6, he says wives are to be submissive. And then he comes back and says, likewise, husbands. Now, husbands are to lead their home, but there are times when we have to submit out of love and protection and care to the desires of our wife. Let me picture it this way. If you were going home this afternoon on a, on a, on a, or driving out in the country this, this afternoon on a two-lane country road, and you're driving along this two-lane country load, road, and you come to a one-lane bridge, and on the, the sign right before you get to that bridge, it says yield. So, as you're in that two-lane, you begin to slow down, see if anybody's coming, anybody coming, anybody coming, nobody's coming, so I'm going to jump over the bridge. I just yielded like I was supposed to. I went over the bridge. Now I'm coming back to my house. And I'm taking that same country road on the way back. And now I'm coming up to that same one-lane bridge. And what do I see? Oh, it's a yield sign before I get to that one-lane bridge. There's a yield sign on both sides. So there are times that we as husbands need to yield. Let me illustrate this way again. When we lived in Georgia, uh, you know, we're 600 miles away, and there were probably two or three times, not a lot, but two or three times that uh, Julie said, hey, I can get a buddy pass and fly home, and my parents are going to go to Brant's, and they've asked me to go with them, and, and do you mind if I go? Well, you mean you're going to leave me and the four boys home all by ourselves? Our boys are little. I'm busy with work. They're, they've got school and orthodontic appointments and, and baseball games. And, and I'd say, sure. If you have the chance, go home. That's not really what I wanted to say on the inside. The inside saying, no, I need you at home. I can't do all this by myself. Reminds me of the story... Uh, I was preaching one Sunday when Julie was gone, and uh, we're, I'm getting up to do the invitation. I'm praying, and I'm hearing rustling of papers right on the second row about where Taylor is. I'm hearing rustling of papers, and that's where the boys were seated so I could keep an eye on them during the service because Julie was gone. And there's rustling papers, rustling papers, and so I'm praying, and I, and I get up, and I'm about ready to give somebody an evil eye, and Micah's holding a sign that says, Micah is starving. So right is... <laughs> So I'm standing here at the invitation, looking at this sign that says Micah is starving, thinking, oh man, let's let, I've lost all spiritual context of this. So anyway, but, uh, anyway, so, so the picture is, is there's an aspect of out of love and, and meeting needs that we submit to the need of and desire of our spouse to help uphold, encourage them. That's, that's part of this. That's part of that giving and loving that, that happens with this. 
So our wife is to be honored. Let me just say, growing up in the, in the South, you know, honoring your mama was a really, really big thing. And, and men, when we criticize our wife in an unkind fashion, that dishonors her. And men, when we talk about our wife in an unkind way with a group of other guys, that is dishonoring. And what happens is, is when we persist in this kind of attitude, then our kids pick up on this. And they begin to dishonor her as well. Now, and, and when we allow our kids to dishonor the mom, then, then that is, that's, that's a major offense. If, if my boy spoke back to me, I'd, I'd get them. If they spoke back and were ugly to their mama, I mean, if I was on the other side of the dining room table, I would swing across that light and I'd be after them. I mean, I'd jump the couch. I would do whatever it took because they're not going to dishonor her. And that's part of this aspect of saying, hey, my wife is valued and esteemed and I'm not going to talk like that about her and they're not going to talk like that about her either. So, we seek to understand, we live to honor, and then thirdly, notice we need to walk as companions. We need to walk as companions. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. He says, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That gives us a picture that we're walking, we're joint heirs together. We're in this spiritual life together. And so we share this journey together as companions so that we go to church together and we talk about the Lord together and we grow closer to the Lord together. That's all part of it, being a joint heir, that one day we're going to get to heaven and, and we're excited about that. But until then, it's the aspect of we are together. There is a togetherness in our in our walk, in our marital walk, and in our spiritual walk. This picture of togetherness. And that's what he is highlighting here. That you are joint heirs together of the grace of life. That as you're walking, we are equal partners in the sense that equally created in the image of God, equally saved by the grace of God, equally loved and secured by the love of God, equally inhabited by the Spirit of God. That we walk together, together as one, both of us as one unit together, pressing forward, fulfilling God's call and commission on our life. That's the picture. And then notice the fine print at the end. Notice the fine print. He says that we're to walk together as, and, and live together as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then notice what he says. That your prayers may not be hindered. Don't miss the fine print. Peter warns that failure to dwell with your wife, to honor your wife, to walk with your life is going to result in God not answering our prayers, our prayers being hindered. That's what he says. Notice how important this is, guys, that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter warns failures to heed what he says in verse number seven will hinder your prayers. Here's the picture. Men, if we ignore dwelling with our wife, seeking to understand and know her. If we ignore honoring our wife, 
If we ignore walking as a joint heir together with our wife, then our prayers will be hindered. God says, if you're going to close your your ears and your eyes to the needs of your wife, guess what? I can close my eyes and ears too. And when God hears the sighs of a woman who feels unloved and dishonored, and when he sees the tears of a woman who feels unloved and dishonored, it's like God just says, uh-uh, don't bother asking me for anything. I'm closing my ears. Now, how, as Christian men, how, as Christian husbands, how, as men seeking to be light in a dark world, can we stand for God and live for God without the power of God and the answers of prayer being experienced in our life? We can't. So this verse lays out a sense of desperation and challenge for us and says, guys, here, let me lay it all on the line. Dwell with your wife with understanding. Give honor to her. Walk together as a joint heir together so that as you do that, I will be there to answer your prayers. Turn that around on the positive. And that's the challenge that we have. Today, I've mainly spoken about men and mainly spoken to husbands. But when we think about the love that God calls husbands to live out, it's similar to how Jesus loves us. We have all sinned. We're all imperfect. We've thought things, said things, done things that have displeased and dishonored God. And the Bible says that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, and he rose again. And the only way that we can be in a right relationship with God is through asking Jesus to forgive us of our sin and asking him to step into our life. That's the only way we can be the husband that God wants us to be. That's the only way that you can be the wife that God wants you to be. That's the only way that you can be the person that God wants you to be. It starts with a relationship with Jesus And then it says, wow, now the Holy Spirit is working in me and God's scripture is speaking to me. And now I move forward. Your treasured memories, yep, hold on to them. Don't tear them up. But you are called to love an imperfect person. Husbands called to love imperfect wives. Wives called to love imperfect husbands. And as your joint heirs together, one day you'll meet Jesus and you'll be glad your light shined through your marriage. With that, let's take a minute and pray. Lord, I ask that you would take these next couple of moments and that you would speak and move. God, I pray for uh, men that are here. That today, maybe they just need to come and, and or, or maybe they just need to stand where they are and they just need to pray and seek you. Lord, for, for those specifically that, that may have a burden that they're carrying, Lord, for uh, those who, who may need to say, look, I, I know Jesus and I need to follow him in obedience today. 
Maybe they need to follow in baptism. Maybe they need to follow in church membership. God, would you just speak and move today? That our answer would just be yes in your name.